Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to be looking at verses 9 through 14, but we're going to start reading from verse 3. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to start reading from verse 3. If you go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also amongst you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister on Christ, of Christ in your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Father, it's just such a great thing when believers gather together, and it doesn't matter my church, their church, this church, Rawls Church, Mike's church. Right now, we are the church. And so, Father, as we gather together into your word, we pray, Father, that you would speak once more to us, that you would draw us together in the unity of the Spirit. And, Father, you would be blessed as we are faithful, Lord, to fulfill the ministries to which you have called us. And so, right once more, we just ask, God, that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I wasn't going to mention this. i got to stay close to the mic. I'm not used to that. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention this because I don't want to draw attention to myself. But in actuality, in mentioning this, I'm drawing attention to the work that the Lord is doing here at this church. Back in November of 2020, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a tumor in the back of my leg. They removed the tumor, but it had traveled to my lungs, and they removed what was in my lungs. And then later we found out that it moved to my spine. It's not in my spine, but it's in between my spine and my lungs. Chances are it's not going to be fatal, but we just have to keep dealing with this as it pops up. And so right now I'm going through chemo. Um, I started last uh, July. And the thing about the chemo is you go through the chemo, I have a session on a Monday, then a week off, and then a double session on a Monday, and then two weeks off. Well, each time I get something else stacked on top of it. And so when I started this in July, I had my second session, and I got what's called thrush. It's a, a fungal infection. And I'm laying there in bed, and my Thursday, my midweek is coming up. I can't eat. I feel like I have a golf ball in my throat. I lost 16 pounds like in five or six days. And my wife comes up to me and says, you just can't teach. Hold on. And she went laughing and came back. She goes, I just made a phone call. Rawl's going to come teach for you. 
And I thought, what a blessing. What a blessing just to have a brother like that, that, that is faithful and desires for the word to go out and to support me. And that was just a huge blessing. And so I'm watching service that night, and I not only obviously rolls up there teaching, but I also see people that I recognize from, from your church. And the neat thing was is, is that he brought, I don't know how many people, but quite a few people. And that ministered to our church because they were praying for our people. And, and, and it, was just, it was just one of those things that in the midst of despair, it warmed my soul. It gave me encouragement and it gave me strength. And it did the same thing for a church. Well, what we're going to be looking at here in Colossians is basically the same thing. There's this man, Epaphras, he's planted a church. And he's not, well, there's a lot of theology that he still doesn't understand. He seems to be a disciple of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has never been to Colossae, but in actuality, it's how the Spirit works anyway through the Apostle Paul to this man, Epaphras. And so when Paul would go and plant churches on his missionary journeys, he would go through and he, it was the idea of planting churches in major hub cities. Like if somebody was coming up from Southern California, they would plant a church in San Diego. They would plant a church in this area, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Sacramento, whatever. And then there would be churches that were planted out from that. And that's what Colossae was. Now, Paul's plan was for these sub-churches to be established. And they would be able to go to these hub churches in order to receive instruction, direction, as they were going about the work of ministry. Excuse me. <clears throat> My second chemo, I got COVID in the middle of it. <clears throat> I'm going to be starting my third chemo and my third round of chemo on the 12th of this month. And they tell me that, well, the only disease I have left is mad cow disease. So that's what <laughs> Paul had planted a church in the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was a major port city in modern day Turkey. We have here Colossae. Colossae is about 100 miles east of that city. So it appears that this man, Epaphras, from the city of Colossae, was discipled by the hub church in Ephesus, looked at the apostle Paul as a leader, as one of his elders. And so he, he goes and he receives instruction from, from uh, Ephesus in that area, from the apostle Paul or the apostle Paul's guys, whoever it might be. And he goes back to his church, and he plants a church there, and he pastors that church. Well, the city of Colossae was along a major trade route. So you can imagine, there was a lot of people coming from the east and headed to the west. And so in that city, there would be a lot of doctrines, a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts that would blow through town. And as, unfortunately, throughout the church in the past... We'd so easily take bits and pieces of other belief and attach them to the truth. But what happens when you do that? When, when you have the truth and you add anything to it, what is it at that point? And what, it's, what it's not is no longer the truth. And, and so Epaphras is trying to decipher all these things and going through the difficulty of these things and wanting the truth to prevail and wanting the Lord to do a, to do a neat thing. And so... Epaphras, Epaphras, he needed some clarification, so he writes the Apostle Paul a letter, and the epistle of Colossians is Paul's response to that. Now, the epistle of Colossians is a prison epistle, so Paul is in a prison more than likely in Rome 
at this time. But Paul, just because he's in prison, he's still penning. He's still praying. And he's still pursuing. Paul's not going to give up. And wherever it is that he is, you're not going to be able to stop him. So he's continually to do the work of ministry. You know, we can have so many excuses. Paul had all the excuses in the world, but it didn't matter to him. He was going to continue to reach forward to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. So in this epistle, obviously we're not going through the whole epistle, but in this epistle, Paul reconfirms the deity of Christ. We see this in chapter 2, verse 9, for in him, for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Paul also confirms Christ as creator, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He confirms Christ as Savior, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. We just celebrated that in communion meal. And then fourthly, Christ is head of the church, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. And so, verse 9, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I don't know the majority of you. I know Chris, he used to go to our church, but he bailed on us, but anyway. (laughs) He's your problem now. No, he's, he's a fine man, fine Christian man. But nonetheless, I know very few of you, most of you don't know me, not personally, you don't know the people in the church, but we've got this bond. We've got this bond that you guys solidified just even a couple of months ago. I never even thought, you know, when teaching at somebody else's church to bring people with me to minister to that church, especially if that church is going through some kind of difficult days. But that develops strength in the body of Christ. And and what it does is we have this relationship in Jesus Christ with one another. Now, we always have this, but it becomes more aware as we are, well, as we are struggling for one another. And what I mean by struggle is as we're praying, as we're pouring ourselves out for the benefit of the body of Christ, which you guys have done in Ontario when I pray that we're doing back for you and, and even so many others. And so... Again, verse 9, he says, for this reason. What reason? What's the reason? What's the reason of inspiration that Paul is referring to? Well, in the preceding verses, and that's why I started back at verse 3, just kind of a little bit of a review, Paul spoke of six things that excited him about the church of Colossae. So when the church of Colossae came to his mind, these are the things that he thought about. And I pray that these would be things that you would think of our church and that these were things that we would think of yours, even as we were just told a lot of the things in the bulletin and a lot of things that we do, you know, we we see them mimicked in both churches. Our church is about the size of your church, give or take. And so, you know, we're ministering along the same lines with the people that we have and the amounts of people that we have. We started our church, as you heard, back 20-some years ago. And I remember my wife saying, you know, well, it wasn't my wife, it was some people, when are we going to have a coffee bar? We don't even have a building yet. You know, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? My wife says, you know, Skip Isaac is doing this. And I'm thinking, you know what? We're, we can't be doing everything. But what we do do, we must do well. And we must do to the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ 
for the benefit of the people that God calls us to reach. And so what Paul is going to be looking, he's not saying that you do this ministry and you do that ministry, but he's looking at the heart of the people of that church. And I really believe, although Paul was never there, he sees that heart reflected through this man, Epaphras. And I, I believe that he had met Epaphras. We don't know that for sure. But nonetheless, as he sees the heart of Epaphras, I'm sure Epaphras is kind of well, he's excited about his people and what his people are doing. He's excited about Paul, and he's excited about this belief, and he wants to stand strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the things that Paul saw, well, first, he saw the faith that they embraced. Again, that back in verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith. This is the proof of the supernatural existence of God in their midst. They have faith in the Lord, faith in what the Lord is going to do, not just what the Lord's going to do arbitrarily out there, but faith in what God is able to do through me, faith in what God is able to do through you. Even as I'm being introduced and I'm thinking back when we started the church, we planted a church, you didn't know what was going to happen. I, I, I was part of this mega church. I was children's ministry. I had the biggest office of all of the staff. And, and every two weeks, I would go up to the front, and I had this little cubby hole up there. We all had these little mailboxes, and there was a paycheck in there every two weeks. And, and so all of those things were, were a commonality, and you can start getting so, so kicked back when that's the case. And then God said, I want to move you out of your comfort level, and here's an opportunity to exercise faith. And so what did he say? He didn't say so much of what he's going to do. He said what he's going to take away. And took away that paycheck. Had to go get a job again. I was an electrician, so I went out and did electrical work again. Going to take away the office. Going to take away the building. We're going to start from scratch. And you're going to look to me, and you're going to learn how to build a church. And so I believe that's what the Apostle Paul saw through the church of Colossae. And I see the things that God is doing here, and I can relate it to the things that God is doing back in our church. And I see the parallels, and it's just an exciting thing. Secondly, Paul saw the love that this church exhibited. Again, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Notice it says for all the saints, everybody who is part of that church. And so in my mind, that means all social, economic, and racial lines. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Not one of you came into Christianity based upon what you were able to give or who you were, you all came in based upon the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all by the grace of God that we're able to even sit in a church and to be able to receive and then be able to give and to be able to be used by the Lord. Love is that which is not to be a victim of our emotions, but a servant of a will that is dedicated to God. Thirdly, he noticed the hope that they experienced. Verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Hope is the preservative of faith and love throughout the course of a Christian's life. Faith is trusting in God for today. Hope is trusting in God for our future. It's the great hope that we have within us. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you know what? We keep ourselves busy. Doesn't matter about COVID. Doesn't matter what Russia's doing. Doesn't matter what Newsom's doing. Doesn't matter all of this stuff. We can get so caught up in all of that stuff. It's all about the gospel. 
And it's all about people that need to know Jesus Christ, people who are lost out there, and they need what we have, what we have to offer, or what God has to offer through us. And again, I didn't deserve to come into his kingdom. Not a one of us did, but again, because of the great love with which he has for us, he washed us and he has made us clean and he has brought us in. And that should be a strength to us. That should increase our hope because the God that saved me is God who's going to preserve me. What are we told in the book of Romans chapter 8? Again, for those who, well, whenever it is that you're attacked or whenever it is that you may doubt, the fact of the matter is, once you're in, you're in. You can't lose your salvation. The only way that we can be unsaved is if God undid our salvation, because salvation is a work from God. So to lose your salvation would have to be God undoing your salvation. But what we're told here in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? When the Bible asks a question... Usually the answer is to the negative, and what I mean by that, we're asked here, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The implied answer is nobody, nothing. Skipping down to verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What can separate us, Christian? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing out there that can separate us. This isn't the love that I have for God, but nothing can separate me from the love that God has for me. And so all of these things should give me strength well, Epaphras and his church back in those evil days, us in our evil days as well. Fourthly, Paul was inspired how they were dedicated to the word of truth, the last part of verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. This is equal parts of preaching and teaching that goes hand in hand with listening and responding. It's a movement of the Spirit even right now. And I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean this humbly, that the Spirit works through the person behind the pulpit. But just as effectively, he works through the person that is sitting here in the body of Christ. God is preparing you right now for what you will be entering into maybe later on today, definitely tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but God does. And so he's preparing us for the opportunities that he has set before us. Fifthly, Paul saw their bringing forth of fruit in verse 6, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Fruit is the proof that a tree is properly planted, watered thoroughly, and maintained completely. This is the result of the word of God sown into divinely prepared soil. Sorry, Sal, but I'm going to bring up the apricot tree. Uh, it's an issue with me. I have an apricot tree. I had an apricot tree for 20-some years, and it died. So I replanted the ap an apricot tree, started from the seedling, and it grew. And it's a good-looking apricot tree. Chris is probably sick of this story, too. He's going, yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful-looking apricot tree. It's healthy. It's got these green leaves. Well, how do you know it's an apricot tree? Why? Because of the leaves is about the only way. Because it doesn't put, put forth any kinds of fruit. The thing's 10 years old, and I think it's put forth like about four or five apricots throughout its life. And my wife keeps telling me, dig it up and throw it out. 
replant something, but I'm kind of hard-headed that way. I, I still think there's, there's hope here. But the problem is, it's an apricot tree. It's supposed to be producing apricots. You're a Christian. You're supposed to be producing fruit. Now, keep in mind, the apricot tree, I've never seen an apricot tree eat an apricot. It's always been for somebody else to come and partake of. And it's the same thing in the Christian's life as he produces the fruit of the Spirit, if you will. If you look through that list, that's all for others to come and partake. So if you are producing fruit, then look at everybody that's able to come and to partake of the fruit that you produce. But even more so, look at all of the variety of fruit that you have to partake of as well. And so as every member is doing their part, we have a church that is firing on all cylinders and doing what God has called it to do. And then lastly, Paul understands that the people, and I'm not finished, so don't get that idea. Uh, Paul understands that the people of this church are dear fellow servants and faithful ministers of Christ, verses 7 through 8. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us uh, your love in the spirit, those unknowns. There's so many unknowns. We've got so many people in the scriptures, but just think of all of the people who were, who, who were disciples of Jesus Christ who you've never heard of. And then take that and project that throughout the church age. All of those unknowns who are well known in the throne room of God. Just because they've simply done what God has called them to do. They're never going to become a pastor. They're never going to become a worship leader. They're never going to become to the forefront. But they just quietly and just as importantly, contently did what God had called them to do. That is the backbone of the church. The backbone of the church is filled with people that we may never hear of, but God knows exactly who they are, a group of people who are willing to sacrifice the present on the altar of the future, giving up their liberties today because the assurance of eternity tomorrow. And so Epaphras, we know so little about him, but the thing that I see here is, is that Paul is excited about this man. He's excited about what this man is doing, and even more importantly, what God is doing through this man's ministry, and he's looking even through that man to that ministry, and Paul just, man, I've gone through and I planted churches, and I've seen these churches thrive, but now I'm seeing the proof of how they're thriving, that there's getting to be these sub-churches from these hub-churches, and God's just doing an amazing thing. He does amazing things as he takes common people like we are and uses us for his glory. In Calvary chapels, we so easily look to the megachurch, but it's not about the megachurch. A lot of you are here because this isn't a megachurch, because you have that feeling of family. We're able to partake of this communion meal together. And, well, usually the meals that I partake in, going out or having people over the house, is because I have a relationship with those people. I've got four kids and I've got nine grandchildren. One of the best things that we can do is to gather together and to have a meal together. And there's that intimacy of the body of Christ. And I really believe that that's part of what Paul is seeing and what he's looking at here in this church. 
And so we've come to this part, and this is the main gist of what I want to say here today, and it's why I started my study the way I did with you guys coming out or a group of you guys coming out and ministering to us. Because what we have here is, is a pattern for prayer that springs forth from the acknowledgement of a work that God is doing. Remember, the makeup of this prayer is a thankful heart. Verse 3, where Paul was excited, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And so, what is it that motivates the majority of our prayers? Usually, it's the knowledge of the negative. Lord, help. Lord, these things are going bad. Things are going wrong. Our society and all of these things. Paul prays from the perspective of the positive. God, I see this good thing that you're doing. I see this church in Colossae, Lord, and it seems to be thriving. Epaphras, he's a man who's come to me, and he's desiring to preach the truth. And he wants to know what is right. And so Paul sees in all of this these good things. He may not be around for much longer, but there's men who are stepping up. There's women who are stepping up. And God is going to use them in a good and glorious way. So, first in this pattern for prayer that we see Paul pray, that they would first know the will of God. That's my prayer for my church, my prayer for your church, for any church, that you would know the will of God. I had to make that determination, and I'm sure Pastor Rawl did as well. When we planted our church, why in the world do we need another church? Why do we need another church in this area? From our front doorstep, within 15 minutes, you can get to Raul Reese's church, David Rosales' church, Greg Laurie's church, Jim Maria Roddy's church, Randy Wall's church, and I'm sure there's other churches that I don't even know about. But God had a specific will for our church, a specific will that he desired to come to pass. God's got a specific will for this church. That will is going to be conveyed to you through the word of God by your pastor but it's up to you to get on board with what that is. But just think that as we are in the perfect will of God, we're immortal. Nothing can touch us until God's done with us. We're powerful. We're prepared to do that will. Those whom God calls, God will enable. And so when we see these things, we should be getting excited about these things, getting involved in the foundation class so that, whoops, excuse me, so that you know that you've got what is necessary and able to do to see God's will come to pass as far as kids being taught or, you know, whatever it might be, small groups and all of these things. And so he, he, he asked a few things as far as under the heading of the will of God, again in verse 9, for this reason also, and since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Filled with knowledge. The idea is a ship that was fully equipped and ready to shove off. Filled in the New Testament means to be controlled by. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that means you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. What happens if you're filled with anger? You know people have been filled with anger. Maybe you've been filled with anger before. You're controlled by that anger. What happens if you're filled with alcohol? You may have been filled with alcohol before I was back in the day, and you're just filled with stupidity then. But if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon me. Holy Spirit, enable me, prepare me. How many of you pray to be prepared before you walk into service, not just this morning, but every time? Holy Spirit, give me ears to hear this message. And it's not just a message that is being spoken to the church here. It's a message that is being spoken to each individual. Lord, 
put me under your influence, that I would know your will, that I would understand that the knowledge, God, or I would receive of the knowledge that is necessary to see that come to pass. A worthy church is controlled by the knowledge of God's will. Now, it's the responsibility for everybody to know God's will. I can remember, I hadn't been saved very long. I went to Calvary Chapel, Ontario. That was David Rosales' church. He ended up moving to Chino and changed it to, to Chino Valley. But anyway, I remember we had two services at a high school, and I was sitting there in between services, and this man came up to me. Don't know who he was. Hadn't seen him before. Haven't seen him since. But he, I was sitting there, and he came up to me. And he goes, let me ask you, brother. And I'm thinking, who in the world are you? <laughs> and what do you want? What's most important of a Christian life? I hadn't been saved that long. I didn't know what the right answer would be, but took a shot. And I said, well, I guess to know God's will. And he says, precisely, you need to know the will of God in your life. And he got up and walked away. i never seen him again. But that stuck with me. It stuck with me to always know what the will of God is for me and those whom I have influence over, my church, that I would know and understand the desire of God because as we know the desire of God, we know the will of God, then we are enabled by God. In Acts chapter 22, verse 14, it says, Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. To understand God's will for your life, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then to follow through. And this is important. I've known so many people. Yeah, I just want to know what God's will. And then somebody comes, yeah, I know what the Lord's will in my life. And they'll spill it all out and all these things. And, and then it's like, what happened? You never did anything. You had all of this excitement and you had all of these things that you spoke to me about, but you never went through and did it. It's of the utmost importance to follow through and then to do it. That's where faith is truly seen. In Hebrews 13, 21, that he would make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. How is the will of God known? Well, through wisdom and spiritual understanding. And the only way to gain wisdom and spiritual understanding is to know God's word. If you don't know God's word, then you don't know anything. You're ill-prepared for the work that God has because it's through the word that God is going to speak to you. It's through the word that God is going to direct you. It's through the word of God that God is going to prepare you. He's going to give to you or deliver to you so that you will be able to deliver to others. Paul wrote those words concerning the communion meal. Delivered to you what has been delivered to me. And it's just the simplicity of the Christian message. How did you come into the kingdom of God? Somebody in your life spoke the gospel to you. And you believed and you were born again. And the idea is, is righteousness repeated. That you would go forth and you would speak the gospel and other people would get saved. You know, we're told in, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, from faith to faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. And what that speaks to me is, is that throughout all of the church age, is somebody sharing the gospel in faith and sharing it with somebody other who comes to faith. And so I, I was talking to the church, this was quite a while ago, but if you can whittle it down, and I look at the church age as a whole, and here I am at this end of it, I wonder what apostle I'm spiritually related to. Bartholomew, I think. 
This guy's kind of got a cool name. But he went and he spoke the gospel to somebody. He spoke it to somebody else. And for 2,000 years, they've been speaking the gospel until it arrived at my doorstep. Far be it from me that I would stop that progression, that I would preach the gospel. And I would see people coming to be saved. And then I would teach them how to preach the gospel. And they would lead other people into the kingdom of God. And again, it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a believer. And so you see, as this has been working throughout the church age, you know, back then, their internet wasn't very good at all. They, Paul, Paul didn't post his teachings on, on the internet. I mean, we do, and I'm sure you guys do as well, but, you know, there was none of that. They couldn't take ads out in newspapers and none of that stuff. They just spoke the word, and that was sufficient. And as we read through, read through the book of Acts, how did the word go? It spread like wildfire throughout the known world. Why? Because the spirit was behind it, and the spirit, the spirit is still behind it even today. How do you know when you've obtained wisdom? Wisdom is the settled condition of the human mind illuminated by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. When I have contentment in the knowledge that God has given me and wisdom, how to use that knowledge for his glory, it's then that I will find a contentment in my Christian life. I'll share the word, but I'll understand. It's not up, for me, up to me to save anybody. It's the work that God does, but he does so just simply through a willing spirit. Be a willing spirit, and you'll see God do great things. Secondly, in Paul's pattern for prayer, he prays that they would live a practical Christian life. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being faithful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. A practical Christian life is a Christian life that is doing what God has called it to do. It's practical. It's having real effect upon a person's life. My mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was born in Germany. She, was, she grew up in Nazi Germany during World War II. We have books and pictures of their relatives, and they're wearing Nazi uniforms and all of these things. But she grew up then, and she married an American serviceman after the war, and they moved out here, and then my wife was born to them. And actually, my wife spent quite a lot, a lot of time in Germany. Germany was, German was actually her first language. But anyway, every once in a while, you go down a road, and you forget why in the world you were going down. Oh, my mother-in-law. Hey, it happens all the time. Um, my mother-in-law grew up in German aristocracy, and so she always had kind of that little attitude thing going there. And so, you know, it's just how she was. My father-in-law passed away fairly young and all. He was an American serviceman. He fought in Vietnam. He fought in Korea as well and served his country very well and um, probably passed away young because of it. But nonetheless... We had an opportunity to go out and to visit my mother-in-law. She was pretty much a recluse. And anyway, we went there, told her she needed to go to church. We went to church on a Sunday to try and get her, find her a church and whatnot. And then that evening, it was Sunday night, I remember, because I was sitting there watching Sunday night football. My wife and I were talking, and I could hear them talking. And, um, and you know, why do I need to go to church? And my wife telling her why she needs to go to church. And my wife says, you need to become born again. 
The Bible doesn't say to become a Christian. The Bible says you must be born again. She goes, so what does it mean to be born again? And my wife turns to me and says, Michael, come here. And I'm thinking, I'm watching the football game. No, I'm kidding. I went and I explained it and she said she wanted to be born again. And the beauty of that is, of all the people that I've led to the Lord, she's one of, one of the ones that I have the most assurance that she is born again. And I see that in God's timing because she has dementia and she's living with us now. And he, he just, he did that just before and, you know, before the dementia really set in. But I just see the beauty of his timing. And I see the practicality of sharing the word of God and see the reality of it and the difference that it's able to have in people's lives. We are to pray for the people who to live dedicated Christian lives, that their lives will continue to speak volumes concerning what the gospel is able to do. If the person you're praying for is a Christian and not living a practical Christian life, pray that they'll repent and get on track. Pray that God would do a work in their lives. If they are living a practical Christian life, pray that they'll continue because that's of so value in the body of Christ. Notice the proper way to increase the knowledge of God. Again, verse 10, it says to walk worthy of the Lord. That word worthy, the idea behind it is a balance, that what Jesus Christ did on the cross, are you living a life that is going to balance the scale? And you would say, well, how could I possibly do that? Well, through what Jesus Christ has done and you doing what God has called you to do and you being filled with the Spirit, there can be a balance there. There can be an inequality there that is necessary in the body of Christ. I, I want to live a life that is worthy of the Lord, that is worthy based upon what Christ has done for me as he gave his life for me, that I would give his life, my life for him. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 3, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, that's what Jesus did. Now, we don't take up Jesus' cross Jesus' cross is where the sins of the world were nailed to. Our crosses, our crosses is where our flesh is nailed to. Our, our cross is where our desires and our wants are nailed to. Those things that I've given up, that we give up for the glory of God because that's what he has called me to do. It says to be well-pleasing to him. This is to simply not live as per ourselves, but live in obedience to God. To understand that he only has the best for me and he has glory in store for me as well. So I'm just going to be obedient to what he has called me to do. I'm going to be well-pleasing. That word pleasing means to cringe before a master, to be utterly submitted to him. Here I am, Lord, you know, just as we sang earlier, here I am, send me. When Isaiah said, here I am, the idea is here I am just as I am. Isaiah, what was he doing in the first five chapters? That quote comes from chapter six. First five chapters, he was condemning all of Israel. He, he, he's the court historian. That means he's in and has a relationship with King Uzziah. And so when you, when you got it good with the king, you can pretty much say whatever you want. You got a problem, take it up with the king. Well, the king died. And it was in the year that King Uzziah died. What happened then? I saw the Lord. I was looking at me before. I was kind of prideful. But then when he who I depended upon died, when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
and he was seated upon the throne. He was seated on the place of authority where he governs the lives of men and women. Because of that, Lord, I want to be well-pleasing to you. We're told in Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we are also to be fruitful in all that we do. It's to live your life in a way that others may spiritually feed off of you. We kind of looked at that a little bit earlier. Then thirdly, in Paul's pattern for prayer, he prays that the church at Colossae, he prays that, that they would realize the inexhaustible power of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. The idea behind here is, is that I can only do so much. As a matter of fact, so many times I can be focused on what I can't do rather than what God can do through me. And so I've got to be focused upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't just the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't get this confused. The Spirit is not power. He's God who empowers us. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm going into this situation. Holy Spirit, enable me. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom and understanding that I may achieve your will and achieve your desires. This is to not step out in the flesh, but wait for the Spirit, for the power of the Spirit and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Peter is the prime example. He's the one, I mean, how, many, how often as we go through the Gospels, and I've done this, I'm guilty of this, do we make fun of Peter? I mean, if we looked at my life, it'd probably be more hilarious than Peter's was. But Peter was always saying the wrong thing. He was always doing the wrong thing. When Jesus told him that he was going to die, he says, I'll die for you, Lord. Well, that was impossible. He couldn't die for Jesus. Jesus had to die for him. But he just didn't have understanding, didn't have wisdom. He didn't have the spirit. And then you enter into Acts chapter 2 and everything changes. This man who was always saying and doing the wrong thing, he stands up, and what he had to say was based upon the word of God, and thousands of people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now he is a man who is speaking, who is, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what did they all do? These believers, they set the world on their ear. They changed the world. We want to change the world, and we think we can do so in the voting booth, but that's not going to happen. We think that we're going to be able to do it through protests or whatever it might be. That's not going to happen. The only way that the world is ever going to change is through the born-again believer under the influence of the Holy Spirit who lives and preaches the word of God. Amen to that, without a doubt. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so we are to have patience, as we're told in verse 11, and long-suffering with joy as we're moving forward in what God has called us to do. Now, in this case, patience has to do with perseverance. Have patience. It's tough out there. Things may not look like they're going well, maybe even for the church, but God is in control. I'm going to have patience because you just never know what God is going to do. Long-suffering has to do with self-restraint. This guy right here, we're praying that God saves him. We're praying that God does something in his life. And you know what? I'm, I'm just going to exhibit patience because I know that if I continue to do what God's called me to do, maybe it's going to get through. But 
until now, he is kind of a pain to deal with, an unbeliever. I'm teasing him. And so, long suffering. What does long suffering mean? It means to suffer long. It, it, it's the people that maybe irritate you. Maybe it's your neighbor who's playing the music all night or cussing or whatever he's doing. It's to suffer long for that person, understanding that maybe God wants to use you to see him born again. Because what is the ultimate in your life as far as example of long-suffering? It's how God ministered to you. God suffered long with you when you were a jerk, when you were, a, when you were of the flesh. He suffered long, and it resulted in your salvation. How did he save you? He saved you by grace. We are to be gracious to others because God has been so gracious to us. Lastly, in Paul's prayer, or pattern for prayer, we see him pray for, well, we saw the will of God, practical Christian life, power of the Holy Spirit, and then I think we're coming back full circle here, the unity of the brotherhood, verses 12 through 14. Given thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us. Notice this word, us. We saw it first here in verse 12. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us. So Paul's putting himself in the same place as the people of Colossae. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And isn't that an amazing thing, the forgiveness of sins? We're going through Exodus and the Passover and the blood of the Lamb and how the blood of the Lamb preserved Israel and kept them from that angel of death. And I'm just reminded as I, as I look through that just how, how the Lord has truly forgiven, how this, you know, here it's juice, but that blood has washed us clean. And God has chosen to remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more. Now, I, I, I don't know a lot of you, you know, again, very, very well, so I don't know how you were before you were born again. But the thing about it is, you know how bad you were. You know the degree to which God forgave you. I know the degree to which God forgave me. What degree is that, Pastor Mike? I'm not going to tell you. As I don't even like to talk about it. But I don't need to talk about it. I just have the knowledge of the forgiveness that I have. Because when God has chosen to forgive, he has chosen to supernaturally forgive. He has chosen to forgive with remembering no more. Remembering no more. Now, if you did me wrong, we finish here and you go and you back into my car. It's like, oh, all right. You know what? Don't worry about it. I forgive you. But the next time I come, I may not park next to you. <laughs> I'll probably park on the other side of the parking lot from you. I've forgiven you, but I'm forgiving with remembering. God chooses to remember no more. And that's huge. One day you'll be in his presence. And if he just remembered one sin, you're gone. But he's not going to. He has cast them as far as the east is from the west. In whom we, and when he says we, he means we all, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We're told in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is, there is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And so when you guys came 
and you guys prayed for us, and I know not everybody did, but you have to understand, even if it's just raw, raw is an extension of this church. I don't look at that as raw coming and ministering to our church or me coming and ministering to your church today so much that Calvary Chapel, Ontario is coming and ministering to your church, that you guys came and ministered to our church. And again, it was just such a neat thing to see even myself laying on that bed, but to be encouraged because I saw those people that he brought with him. And I heard our people said, man, it was a neat thing. They came and they ministered to us. And isn't that what the body of Christ is all about? This message isn't today for the unbeliever. It's for the believer. It's for the member of the body of Christ, that we would not cease to do good, that we would continue to move forward in what God has called us to do. They've been doing it for 2,000 years, and it's worked up until now, and it will continue to work until the Lord comes home. Be faithful in the midst of your church. Support your church. Strengthen your church. Enable your pastor what God has called him to do. See the will of God come about in your church, and you'll see great things happen. You want to see great things happen? Be open to the will of God. It's just such a blessing of what God has done in our lives. It's a blessing what God has called us to, and I just pray that we would be found faithful in the very end. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us this time together. I pray, Father, for those who are in this room, God, I just pray that they would rise up, that they would join foundations class, become active in the body of Christ, that they would bear fruit and they would find joy as others come and partake of their fruit and they, in turn, would partake of the fruit that is produced. And again, this would be a church that is fully functioning. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would fill this place with your spirit. I pray that you continue to do great things in this area in which you have planted this church and that, God, you would be glorified through all. I pray for Raul and his family that you would bring them back home safely. And, Father, just bless their time as they're ministering to their the other portion of their family. I pray even, Lord, for this last song, that we would stand up and, God, we would sing as we're saved. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you for all of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. You all stand, please.